Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the word that was just read. We ask that your spirit would indeed make us wise to be able to see your truth, not only to understand it, but also to be able to see the context in which we might be able to live out these truths, not for our own benefit, but ultimately to bring you glory and so that people would come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We ask as your word is preached now, that as it is taught, that your spirit would make our hearts attentive to it and to be able to conform our lives to it. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Vic taught me everything I needed to know about work. After I graduated from university, I started working for Lockheed Martin Fort Worth. Our facility in Fort Worth was responsible for manufacturing military fighter aircraft, F-16s, F-22s, and F-35s. Although I had a degree in mechanical engineering and aeronautics, I didn't know how to actually carry out my role as a quality engineer. I knew about aircraft, I knew about mechanics, but I didn't know what it meant to be a quality engineer. And so Vic took it upon himself to teach me everything that there was needed to be known about engineering, specifically in quality. Now, Vic had a lot of aircraft experience. He had worked at Lockheed Martin for almost 20 years. He began as a production line worker doing inspections for the aircraft. Then he was promoted, and he went into the quality engineering department and started working as an engineer. Before Lockheed Martin, he had served as a crew chief on B-52 bombers with the U.S. Air Force. And so Vic knew his airplanes. Vic once summarized our job as quality engineers in one word, purge. We had the responsibility of finding all these incorrectly manufactured parts to round them up and to get rid of them so that they would never be installed on the aircraft. Now, the job itself seems simple, but it's actually kind of difficult because when you're in a facility that's almost multiple football fields long, finding the part you're looking for can sometimes be a little bit tough. So Vic taught me how to navigate our database system to be able to find different parts wherever they might be in the production facility. He taught me how to read blueprint drawings, how to tell the difference between different sections of the aircraft. He taught me where I needed to go if I had issues with a tube, who to talk to. If I had an electric component that I didn't know what it did, he would direct me to the right person so that I could know what it did and if it pro functioned properly. Vic also had this diplomatic finesse that he exercised when we had to communicate with a customer who wasn't happy. So Vic taught me so many things about what it meant to be a quality engineer. He taught me everything I needed to know. But I did wonder to myself, why did Vic take so much time to teach me? And so I took it upon myself to ask him. And he replied that helping me be competent in my job ultimately benefited the team. And when the team benefited, he benefited. Now, for some of us, we have people like Vic in our lives who gives us 
advice, counsel, instruction, either concerning about work, our relationships, or even our families. And there are some of us who are looking for people like Vic, who can give us instruction and give us counsel. And a lot of us oftentimes are trying to figure out what to do. And we're looking for people to really speak into our lives. Maybe as first-time parents, you're wondering, who can I talk to to learn what it means to be parents to a young child? Or for those of you who may be thinking about auditioning to Allstate Band, who can help me know how to prepare for my auditions and for my, for my performances? Maybe you're trying to choose a major for college, and you're wondering to yourself, who can actually give me counsel so, I ca- so that I can choose a major that fits who I am? Maybe you're applying for a mortgage for the very first time to buy your home, and you're wondering, who can I talk to to give me advice about a mortgage? Or maybe your marriage is going through some turbulence, and you're wondering, who can I talk to for counsel, for help? So who do we go to when we need advice? Who do we go to when we need spiritual direction, spiritual wisdom? Well, James would warn us to take wisdom, to take counsel, to take advice from the one who rises too quickly in a gathering to give his advice, to give his opinion. Because in James chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For the one who rises too quickly gives his opinion too fast, maybe a person who has not yet learned to control his tongue. They don't realize their words are like feathers within a pillowcase that is released to a wind that can never be retrieved. And we should not listen to those types of people. Well, then who should we listen to? Who is it that we should give our ear to? James answers this question in this last section of James chapter 3, in verses 13 through 18. So if you have your Bibles, and if they're not opened yet, please turn there with me to James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Now, in this section, James begins with something that we should learn in verse 13, and then he kind of builds on it in the latter half, which is 17 to 18. So that means verse 14 through 16 is in the middle talking about something different. It's kind of like a sandwich. You have an idea here that corresponds with the idea here, but then the middle ideas kind of correspond with each other. One could describe it as an A-B-B-A format. So we're going to talk first about what is this general idea that James wants us to learn in this first verse. Then we're going to talk about who we should avoid learning from in this middle section. And then James is going to go into a little bit more detail in whom we should actually learn from. So who is it? that we should actually learn from? Well, James poses this question in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, the word understanding talks about the know-how, the expertise to know what to do in a situation. For instance, a person knows that error must be corrected. But wisdom is knowing when to exercise that knowledge. When do you use that knowledge? Do you use it when you're in a group setting? Do you correct someone then? Or do you wait 
until you have a private conversation with them to provide correction. That is wisdom. So you needed to have both this knowledge, knowing what to do, but also wisdom in terms of when to do it. And this wisdom ultimately comes from God because earlier in James chapter 1, James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. Now, who is the wise person? Well, he answers his question in verse 13 with this. By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. So who should we learn from? We should learn from the one who acts humbly, the one who acts with meekness, the one who acts with control over himself. The one who is humble is the one who is wise, who James encourages us to learn from in verse 13. Now, you may be wondering, well, how come the word humble doesn't show up in verse 13? It's because the word meekness can also be translated humble or gentle. And that's where we get this idea of acting humbly. Now, you also have to note that in verse 13, it's not just about what you know in your mind, that I know what to do in the right situation. I need to know to honor my parents. I need to know to read my Bible. I need to know how to treat others properly. But it's about acting, that you actually have to do these things. That it's not just good enough to know that you need to meditate on God's word, but you actually need to spend time doing it. And these are the people that you should learn from. Those who not only know the right thing to do, but actually do it. That they know to honor their parents, and they actually call their parents during the week to check up and see how they're doing. That they know to love their neighbors, but they also take opportunities to actually speak with them, to see what their needs are, to care for them. That this is a person who acts wisely. But it's not just to act wisely, but it's to act with the attitude of humility, with the sense of meekness, that wisdom directs everything that you do. That when wisdom says speak, you speak. When wisdom says be quiet, you stay quiet. Because wisdom directs you to act in a way that is humble, that is meek. Now, a lot of people think that humility is false modesty. Let's say you perform a solo, and then someone thanks you for your performance, and then you say, oh, no, 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 no. I made so many mistakes. You know, there was a certain part that I couldn't get quite right. There's a certain section that I was out of tune in. And you keep on talking about all your mistakes because you're trying to, quote, unquote, be humble. But when you exercise false modesty, you're still actually drawing attention to yourself. That is about you. It's about this person and what he failed or she failed to do. But humility isn't so much about playing down your achievements, but being able to be thankful for them, to be thankful that your solo performance encouraged people, that it made them delight in the music, and you give thanks for the fact that God gave you the ability to play this performance, to play this piece, because God gave you the ability to do so, that you don't think about yourself so much as you give thanks for how you're being used to bless others. That's humility. That is humbleness. Now, a humble person then operates, as I said before, according to God's wisdom. Now, let's go into the middle section of verse 13 through 18, 
where James then talks about who should we avoid learning from? Who's a person that we should actually pay no heed to, that they should not even warrant attention or even an audience with us? Who are these types of people? Well, James would say that we should avoid learning from those who act selfishly, that those people who are focused upon themselves, who are focused upon their own ego, that these are the people that we should avoid learning from. And we see them described in verse 14 through 16, which says this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So we see the first quality of the selfish in verse 14. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, or excuse me, in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, the first attribute of the selfish is jealousy, that the selfish are jealous, that they are never content with what they have because what they have is less than what they want. And the reason why what they have is less than what they want is because it's everyone else's fault, that they are to blame for the fact that they don't have the career that they always wanted. It's always because of that coworker who prevents them from moving up in the company. It's that student who always ruins the curve for our class, and so I can never do well. It's about the other person who has the resources, the opportunities, the experience. That's why they have that nice home, that nice car. And because they have those things, it's their fault. That jealousy is always blaming other people and other things for the fact that you may not have what you want. There is a discontent within them, and that's jealousy. But the selfish are also described by a phrase, selfish ambition. That those who are selfish have an ambition to put themselves in the spotlight. That they are the ones who want their social media to be followed by many people that they want their videos to go viral, that they want everyone to recognize their achievements, that schools admitted them because of their test scores, because of their grades, because of their extracurricular activity. It's because of them. Why did the job take them? It's because of their technical expertise. That's all about them and what they can do because if you want it, you do everything you can to be able to get it, regardless of what it may cost your soul, regardless of what it may cost in terms of your relationship, that you have this ambition that drives you. And this is the advice that you'll hear from these people who have the selfish ambition. But then we also realize that the selfish operate from principles that are not from above, but are principles not from heaven. The selfish live according to a wisdom that is not from God. In verse 15, it says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That this is not spiritual wisdom. And this wisdom that is not from God, not from heaven, can be described as wisdom that is from the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
Now let's talk about these three attributes of this wisdom. The wisdom that is from the world says life is a competition. And if it's a competition, you have to be number one. And you do everything you can to beat others because if you lose, that means you mean nothing. There is no second place in this world because life is about survival of the fittest. And if you are not fit, if you are not strong enough, smart enough, fast enough, then you'll be consumed. And you never want to be less than or nothing when you compete. Then you also have this idea that the wisdom that is not from God is unspiritual. That this unspiritual wisdom encourages you to do what is right in your own eyes. Because the word unspiritual in verse 15 refers to anything that is opposed to God. Anything that is opposed to what is spiritual, that is natural, that is fleshly. And oftentimes, the flesh... And this unspiritual wisdom manifests itself in this idea that if you do not do what is right in your own eyes, then God will not care for you. If you do not pursue this relationship, God won't provide you a relationship. If you don't pursue sexual gratification now, you'll never get it. That if you don't be able to purchase this thing, this item that you've had on your wish list, then no one will ever get it for you. You must get yours now. And you're willing to do anything that is right in your eyes to get it. That is this wisdom that is unspiritual. Now, James also talks about this idea that this wisdom that is not from God is demonic. He says here that it is from demons. Now, there can be two dangers when you think about demons. One, you can think about them too little, saying that demons don't exist, that there is no evil forces out there influencing us, that everything is about material and science. But then how do you explain the distractions that you experience when you try and think about spiritual things? How do you explain the fact that You're always engrossed by other people's sins, and you're not ever able to actually focus on your own to be able to confess them. That there seems to be something out there influencing and directing your life away from God, and that would be demonic. The other danger that C.S. Lewis talks about is that you can make too much about them, that you can say that everything that you experience in terms of hardship is attributed to demonic forces. Your illness, your difficulty in your friendships, the frustrations you feel at work, those are all demonic things. And then you begin to make too much of the demonic. But wisdom that is demonic leads you away from God so that you produce works that are pleasing to these evil forces rather than works that are ultimately pleasing to God. This is a wisdom that is not from above, but this is a wisdom that is demonic. Now then the question is, what do these selfish people do? What is the result of their behavior? What is the result of their actions? What happens? Well, the selfish then create chaos. We see this in verse 17. But the wisdom from above, or excuse me, verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. That there's going to be disorder 
and the lives of people who are selfish, that their relationships are going to be disordered, that they are going to be tainted, that they tend to gossip and it creates rifts between friends, that fellowship begins to disappear, that they begin to try and make sure that their opinions are known. And when they try to do this, it separates people. It divides. It creates division. This is the disorder that James talks about here in verse 16, that the selfish create disorder. But the selfish also create chaos in their own lives, that in their own lives, they begin to perform and to do different acts that are displeasing to God. This is what James means when he says every vile practice, that people begin to fulfill their sexual desires because they believe marriage is passe. They do what they want in terms of the workplace in order to get ahead, and it means putting people down, running over them in order to get what they want. It means lying in order to present yourself as better than you really are, that you begin to engage in these vile practices, and we should not hear or listen or heed the advice from such people, that these are people that should not be speaking into our lives. And that's why James says that we should avoid learning from those who act selfishly because they act according to a wisdom that is not from God, but from a wisdom that is worldly, a wisdom that is unspiritual, a wisdom that is demonic. So now in this last section, James goes on with greater clarity. Who should we actually listen to? From whom should we actually receive advice? And James says that we should learn from those who exhibit godly character. He writes this in verse 17 to 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That godly character begins from wisdom above. That wisdom from above shapes a person to develop godly character. Now, this wisdom from above is wisdom from God. And so how does God convey or communicate his wisdom to us? He communicates his wisdom through his word. And we also see that in creation, God has a certain design to it, that there is a certain order to it, that he created human beings to survive by drinking and eating. And he also created the earth to operate in a certain way as well, that the heavens give rain to the ground so the ground may be wet and that those plants, such as wheat, would be able to get nutrients from the earth. And as the wheat receives the nutrients from the ground, they're able to produce kernels. And when these kernels are fully grown and they're ready to be picked, they are picked, then they are crushed, and it becomes flour for us to be able to make bread or to make cake, to be food for us to eat. That there is a certain design to it. There's a certain order, a certain structure to creation, and that's wisdom. And there's also wisdom in how human beings are to interact with each other as well. That there are father-daughter relationships, mother 
son relationships, that there are spousal relationships between husband and wife, that humans are supposed to care for each other when we see one in need, that we're supposed to encourage people when they feel down, that there seems to be a design within even human relationships that God created, that there is a wisdom in it. And even as human beings, we realize that even though we desire to help people, we realize we also need help ourselves as well. Now, there are obvious things in which we need help with. If our car breaks down and we do not have the automotive skill to be able to fix it, we take it to the auto shop. If we feel as though we have a shortness of breath, then we go to the doctor to be able to receive a diagnosis to see what's wrong with us. If there is a need for help in learning a language, Chinese, Japanese, Spanish, we go to our language teacher to be able to get some help. That we recognize that as human beings, we don't know everything and we need help in certain areas of our life. But there is a help that goes even deeper. We realize that there is a deeper part of us that needs help that we might not even be able to articulate. When a loved one dies, we think to ourselves, this isn't right, that there's something wrong with this, that there is something off. Or the fact that whenever we argue with our spouses, we wonder how come every time I speak, I can't seem to convey my love for my spouse, but it always results in conflict. When it comes to friendship, that there always seems to be tension and conflict that results when truth is spoken. That even though there is help that is provided, we also realize that there is a deeper part of us that needs some kind of help. That no matter how much good we try to do to help others, we always have a tainted motivation. And that, that good that we desire to do, we're not able to sustain and to be able to do infinitely that there is a help that we need within us, a brokenness. And that solution can't be found in ourselves, but it has to be found outside of us. And this is why I think James says that this is a wisdom that is from above. Because God realizes that we need help with our brokenness. And he sends his son, Jesus Christ, who lives a life helping others, not needing help himself. He lives this life to care for others, to heal them, to restore them. He lives a life helping others. But to help us, he needed to give his life on the cross, to die for our brokenness, to die for the penalty of our brokenness, to restore the relationship between us and God. And that when we place our faith in what Christ did on the cross and his resurrection, we receive help. That we receive through the union with Christ, a relationship with God, but also that we receive a purity within us a righteousness that is given to us because now our life in Christ is connected. And that when God sees us, he doesn't see brokenness, but he sees the perfect life of his son. And this is how God helps us, that he gives us a spiritual purity, 
And this is why in verse 17, it says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. That if we are going to exhibit these attributes, peace, gentleness, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, we first need to receive the wisdom from above that is Christ into our lives to be pure. And from this purity comes these qualities, peaceable, that we are able to relate to others and that when they confront us, we don't feel offended because we recognize as believers we have done wrong. And that we are gentle to be able to receive such correction because we know that there is much that we still yet need to do in order to live a life that is pleasing to God. That we receive that correction. And because we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that we're also open to reason. That when our opinions are overlooked and we defer to other people and other people's decisions are made, we don't gossip. We don't talk behind their back because we recognize that we are to submit to whatever decision leadership has made, whether it be in our work, in our ministries, or even in our schools. And we are also to be full of mercy, that we use our resources to benefit others because of how much God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. That we use our finances, our talents, our gifts, our abilities to be able to benefit others with no thought to ourselves. And we also begin to be impartial. We're impartial because we recognize that God has accepted us, irregardless of our background, of our stories, of our family histories, of our racial history, that God has accepted us on the basis of his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we should be impartial. But we also must be sincere. This idea of sincerity is that we pursue God with a doggedness, that we recognize that to know God is to transform our inmost being so that we become not only more like Christ, but that our affections begin to change as well, that we become more like Jesus because we have this love and affection that is deep for God. And that's the sincerity that comes from wisdom from above. And it is from these types of people, people who have been transformed by Christ to exhibit these different attributes of wisdom that is from above that we should learn from. Now, godly character also results in peace with other people. In verse 18, it says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That those who have peace with God also begin to have peace with other people. That there is an aroma that follows them of peace, of harmony, of being in sync. That they have relationships that are ones to be admired. That they care about other people when they are in need. That there is this peace that you can learn from. That whenever they talk about the importance of meditating on the word and you see them, exemplify it. People who have peace recognize that they receive correction with humility. People who have this peace are able to have the wisdom to know how to discipline their kids in private rather than in public. People who have this peace who are able to exercise this ability to defuse situations where tensions are high. And these are the people that we learn from. 
that we learn how they care for their kids, how they love their spouses, how they pursue the Lord, it begins to create within us a harvest of righteousness. Now, James says in verse 18, righteousness, but this righteousness isn't referring to a forensic righteousness where God has labeled you righteous. That's what Paul talks about. But when James talks about righteous, he talks about a life that is pleasing to God, that when we begin to learn from those who are wise, who lead lives of peace with God and with other people, we begin to lead a life that is ultimately pleasing to God, that we conduct ourselves in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in the places in which we play in a way that brings delight to God. So who should we learn from? Who should we take advice from? Who should we take counsel from? We should learn from those who act humbly. We should avoid learning from those who act selfishly. And we are to learn from those who exhibit godly character. A few years ago, my brother-in-law took Josephine and myself to go bouldering for the first time. Now, for those of you who do not know what bouldering is, it's to go to this gym where there are these different rock faces and there are these different holds. And the objective is to climb this rock face to the very top. Now, you don't have any harness or rope. So if you fall, there is a nice soft cushion for you to fall on. But when you're climbing in or as you are bouldering, oftentimes your face is so close to the wall that you don't know where the next hold is in order to pull yourself up. You don't know where to put your foot in order to get leverage to be able to maneuver yourself to get to the next spot. And so oftentimes you need someone on the ground to be able to see all of the wall to point you in the right direction. And I feel as though there are a lot of times in our lives where we are facing the wall of life. We don't know what to do next, whether it be in our friendships, in our homes, in our families, in our marriages. And at those times, we need to listen to the people that God has placed in our lives who have a wisdom that is from him and to learn from their counsel, to learn from the example that they live and to take that counsel so that we would also live a life that is pleasing to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how you helped us through your son, Jesus Christ, that we were helpless to fix this brokenness within us and how faith in Jesus Christ has transformed us so that we would have a relationship with you through his perfect life, but also how your spirit now indwells within us to live a life that is pleasing to you. And so we ask that you would give us a sensitivity to be able to identify those wise people in our lives who live according to the gospel and to heed their counsel and to learn from them so that we too might lead a life that is pleasing to you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.